Chapter 17 A little girl, maybe ten years old, stood a few feet away, crying. She wore a burgundy Victorian dress, and she had blood on her upper lip. I was wearing a blue Victorian dress. My hands and feet were tiny. My body was that of a small girl. A door opened behind me, and another young girl in a Victorian dress, this one green, hurried into the room, a fierce look in her eyes. She was slightly taller than me. I tensed and took a wide stance, ready to fight. But that was wrong. No pain there. I needed to follow the pain. I made the foundation gesture of defiance, feet set wide, mouth and brow straight, fists pressed together in front of my chest, and I focused on the meaning of the word, but I felt nothing. If the gesture was at least close to right, I would feel pain, the pain that had preserved this whorl and cackle apparently. The people watching from above began repeating the same noise over and over, in unison, hep 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 hep. There was a mocking tone to it, as if they were enjoying my failure. The girl with the green dress and the fierce look in her eyes stomped toward me. I tried another foundation gesture, revenge. This time I felt pain tingling in several parts of my body. I was on the right track now. I needed to let the pain guide me. As Kalia had taught me this morning while waiting for the monk, I imagined the room, the air, everything around me filled with revenge. I tried to let that thought permeate my whole reality. I moved just my arm slightly at first, letting the movement be born from my foundation gesture, and the pain increased and spread. The pain was sometimes cold or hot, sometimes sharp or dull, but not unbearable. This was the best I had done yet. I felt in a groove almost. And there were no cows anywhere, and no pools of blue skrill. I stayed focused on revenge, and moved my arm in front of my face just in time to block a punch the girl had thrown. The second punch, I sidestepped. Undiscouraged, my opponent threw a beautiful roundhouse kick at my head, her dress flowing like a dancer's. I ducked just in time. The girl threw a second roundhouse. Timing it perfectly, I ducked, stepped toward the girl as she finished spinning, and punched her in the jaw, knocking her down. The girl with the burgundy dress and the bloody nose went to my fallen opponent, crouched over her, and said, Are you well? Can you stand? The crowd above me let out a collective gasp, followed by yelling and angry shouts of, Shaka? Shaka. They seemed to be unhappy with my success. With a gesture of revenge, I rode the pain like a wave. How long did I have to do this before the graft broke and I returned with these fighting skills? Dozens of brad corruptions in well-worn Victorian dresses clambered down the wall or leapt from the stands into the room, landing with loud thumps. The dresses worn by them were ragged and pieced together from several different fabrics, and they came in three colors, the same colors that I and my opponents wore, blue, burgundy, and green. They surrounded me jaws clenched, staring at me with wild eyes standing with their feet shoulder-width apart, their knees slightly bent, ready to attack. Some flipped me off and others spat and cursed at me. A few wore large t-shirts, assembled from different fabrics, with mysterious messages sewn into their fronts, keep Charlotte pristine, keep the grunt in the punch, proud grunter, the real Charlotte doesn't grunt, save the grunt, grunter, n, a person who has auditory hallucinations. Another brad corruption came through the open door this one draped in objects and sitting in a wooden wheelchair. No part of his body was left uncovered. I couldn't even see his eyes. Books, lace, paintbrushes, shoes, dried flowers, dolls, a teacup, a candle holder, and much more hung from or were somehow affixed to his body. 
An open parasol rested on his shoulder. They were totems from Kalia's line. I knew because they seemed as beautiful to me as the shower curtain totem. I couldn't help but graft to them. It was an irresistible compulsion. I composed my incoherent Pictionary poetry almost automatically. Brown leaf wool snag, felt button masterpiece, crayon paper shiver dance, Beauregard puffy pants, crystal port glass prism. From this fevered grafting, tendrils of another person's life grew inside my memory and latched onto it like ivy onto a house. I felt joy as each tendril found its purchase. It was the joy of making a new friend, the giddiness, the excitement of sharing yourself with another, of discovering commonality and union. I reveled in it. Now I understood what Kalia had meant when she'd said she knew me better than I thought she did. My name was Charlotte. I loved music of all kinds. I abhorred snobbery. I dreamed of having a family, of closeness, of love. They were common dreams and traits, but they felt like they belonged to only Charlotte and me, like there was a unique spirit behind them, tinting them with a light that only we could see. The girl with the ribbon in her hair was Karen. She was other. The girl I had punched was Melissa. She was other. I had a vague idea of why we were fighting, something about them treating someone I knew poorly, but I couldn't quite grasp the whole picture. I needed more totems, more tendrils of Charlotte. As I grafted to totem after totem, I felt bursts of euphoria spread throughout my body, and I learned more and more about my new self. I was fighting with Karen and Melissa because they had been cruel to my friend, Magdalena. We were at a boarding school for Mobiak Shanikas that taught classes in subjects like hunting, tracking, kung fu, and meditation. I excelled at kung fu. Melissa was jealous. She was a year older than me and had turned the other girls against me, everyone but Magdalena. She told them I was poor. She made fun of my clothes, my hair, my teeth, even the size of my ankles. I hated her. My nanny said I had to make friends with all of my classmates, that they were my peers and would become my fellow lodge members, that the relationships I formed now would serve me later in life. But I didn't care. I was going to move away when I came of age and find another lodge, one with members that conducted themselves with honor. One of the totems fell off the corruption's arm, a teacup, and shattered on the ground, and the spell was temporarily broken. A snippet of Kalia's morning lesson shot through my mind, be careful not to lose yourself in the totems. You must follow the pain not the joy to ride the ghost. The words cut through the euphoria, and I remembered who I was and what I was doing here. I needed to return to fight Brad, to defend my family. The totem-wearing Brad corruption was not my ally. None of the Brads were. They were angry with me for some reason. They didn't want me to ride the ghost in this whorl. They sought to distract me. And it was working. I could only hold onto myself and my thoughts for a moment. It was too painful now, after the joy of the totems. I immersed myself in them again. The brad in the wheelchair was rolled out of the room. I ran after him like a child after an ice cream truck. I followed him outside, out the back door, past rose bushes as he bumped along in the grass. The sun shined down on us. Other brads walked with me. I rushed ahead to the totem bearer's side so I could stare at him from closer up. Then he pointed across the lawn to an acacia tree. I felt the pain returning, but I refused it. 
and the tree was replaced by a small gated enclosure with a cow inside. The cow mood. A loud sustained crack rang out all around me like living wood being torn apart, like thousands of trees preparing to fall. A moment later, the smell of menthol and strawberries filled the air, and all of the brads collapsed, like puppets whose strings had been cut. But a few other corruptions, ones I didn't recognize, remained standing. They held rifles. I turned around. A thick layer of wet blue mold-like fuzz covered the area where the cow had once been. Skrill. It spread quickly, like blood pooling under fabric. But this time the world didn't disappear. I didn't return to the real world. I must have eaten too many jalapenos, aroused so much cackle with my burning mouth that I was stuck in this whorl until it subsided, stuck for too long. The Rakulek was coming. An immense head emerged from the center of the pool, followed by the body, dripping skrill that rained down in casserole-sized chunks. The Rakulek rose into the air quickly a giant centipede-like creature with protruding pink lips encircled by a thick ring of translucent flesh and a grove of antler-like tentacles. Blue liquid swirled underneath the flesh and shined through. The head was the size of a cargo van. Segment after segment of the body crawled out of the pool on pair after pair of yellow spider legs as tall as me. Plates of black armor protected a milky blue interior. Growing along the cracks between plates were glittering golden hairs that forked randomly and undulated through the air like the legs of barnacles feeding at high tide. Before I could run, the giant creature scurried past me, spider legs whipping back and forth, tearing up sod and sending it flying through the air. It went straight for the non-brad corruptions, the ones that didn't fall over lifeless. They began firing at the Rakulak, which shuddered and coiled, turning its armor toward its attackers. When the firing stopped, it uncoiled, and its lips peeled back, revealing four hooked teeth, like a bifurcated parrot beak. The liquid-filled ring around its mouth shifted, and triangular pink flaps of flesh opened all around the mouth like flower petals. For a moment the petals quivered, then the creature sprayed a thick stream of skrill from its gaping maw onto the corruptions. As they fell and slipped and tried to run, the Rakula clamped its jaws around the shoulders of one and lifted it into the air. I remembered Karen and Melissa, back in the house. The creature might go after them next. I didn't know if Karen or any of these people were truly alive, but they weren't a dream. A whorl was more than a dream. Kalia had reiterated that a few times. So whatever Karen and Melissa were, they didn't deserve to get their heads bitten off, no matter how mean they had been to Charlotte. Covered in skrill, the corruptions continued to attack the Rakulak. I ran around the melee, giving it a wide berth. When I reached the open window, I heard piano playing, and a little girl's voice singing a beautiful and haunting rendition of my darling Clementine. I climbed inside. Karen sat at the piano, playing with her back to me. Melissa stood beside her and stopped singing when she saw me. You didn't faint, she said. Karen stopped playing and turned around. Her eyes got big. Oh no, she said. Was I supposed to faint? I said. Of course you were, Melissa said. What's wrong with you? I don't know. There's a Rakulik eating people. We have to get out of here. Karen said, you fool. It will come for you soon, Melissa said. There's nowhere you can hide now. You've already made too many choices. Leave now. 
The least you can do is not bring it here. What do you mean I made too many choices? I said. You have to go. Karen stood up, and she and Melissa walked toward me. Outside someone screamed, a high-pitched scream full of pain and terror. I looked out the window. The Rakulik had closed its jaws around another corruption. Before I could turn away, I was pushed from behind, and I toppled through the window, falling on my shoulders and head on soft ground between rose bushes. Lying on my back, I heard the window shut. I heard shouting. I heard more rifle shots. Then the Rakulik was above me, blocking out the sky. The petals encircling its head bloomed and quivered as it opened its massive jaws. I rushed to my feet, but before I could run, the Rakulik spewed a steady stream of frothy skrill that hit me in the chest and knocked me back. It was warm, sticky, and smelled strongly of menthol and strawberries. It stung as my skin absorbed it. I tried to wipe it off, but it disappeared inside me. The creature was crawling backward now, away from me, disappearing segment by segment into the pool it came out of, as what was left of the corruptions continued their futile attack. I was shaking with adrenaline. I could barely think. For the moment, I didn't care that I'd absorbed gallons of Rakulik saliva. I was just glad I hadn't been eaten. As I stood there watching it retreat, the whorl quickly became more and more transparent. The lawn, the corruptions, the creature all became traces, outlines in my vision, and I could see the bakery behind them. Brad was at the door, smiling. 